Out of the Box with Christine, the podcast for conscious entrepreneurs. I am your host, Christine Blasdale. Yes, your very own podcast for passion and profits coach, as well as a number one Amazon bestselling author and multi-million dollar fundraising genius. Welcome aboard, my friend. It's going to be an amazing ride. I will be your tour guide on this epic adventure with our ultimate goal being transformation to our highest potential. And now let's get out of the box. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Out of the Box with Christine. I am your host, Christine Blasdale, and I am very excited about today's show because the woman that I have as my very special guest today is one of my, well, you're one of my sheroes, Alani. You, you, <laughs> your, your life story is, is so inspirational, and what you do for other women is so inspirational to me. I had to have you on Out of the Box with Christine, the podcast for conscious entrepreneurs, because you are the program manager for Success Works here in New South Wales and Australia. And the, the program that, uh, that Alani is in charge of helps so many women who maybe society has given up on or society has thoughts on their worth and their value. And I'm just so grateful that you came on the show today with me and we're gonna share what you do um, with these, with wonderful women that are getting a second chance at life. And so welcome to Out of the Box with Christine. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me and the opportunity to share this. Well, I, I sort of gave a little bit of a, of a hint to our listeners about what you do, but let, uh, let's start with the program that you're doing right now that you're working with women, Success Works. Can you please let our listeners know a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So the, the program Success Works is a program of Dress for Success Sydney. A lot of people have heard of Dress for Success and know it's probably for the clothing, which um, we have been doing for about 11 years, um, providing women who are trying to get back on their feet from all walks of life, um, who are be trying to become financially independent, um, clothing them on the outside, with beautiful clothes. Um, the the organisation has also supplied clothing to women as they exit correctional centres who may not have any clothing to leave with rather than them coming home in their prison greens as the colour is in New South Wales. And let me tell you, it happens a lot. So um, the clothing aspect is one thing that people know Dress for Success for, but we have an extensive career support program which I like to frame it as clothing women from the inside with the tools, the confidence, the, um, the skills to help them believe in their own worth. So when they are putting themselves forward to try and get employment, they believe in the skills that they have and the strengths that they have to, to rise and shine out of the circumstances that they find themselves in. And the Success Works program um, has is only quite new. It's the third year of a three-year pilot that supports women with a criminal record get back on their feet. Wow. And yeah. and as we know, what well, some, some people don't know, um, when you come out of prison, you, well, you don't have a whole lot. Um, uh, you don't have a whole lot of support many times, correct? There, there, a lot of people don't know of the support and there is not 
a lot of specific support for women. Um, and research has shown that only about 22% of the women who do exit prison if their crime has uh, led them to incarceration aren't aware of the support services out there. And my opinion is that there needs to be a more coordinated effort of those support networks. And also for society, those networks will not work if the prejudice and discrimination and the misunderstandings of people with a criminal record exist amongst organisations, employers and society. Right, because a sentence um, and incarceration can haunt, uh, well, can haunt anyone um, mm. when, they, when they leave, but especially getting a job, getting uh, housing, um, their, their children, right? It, it affects yeah. the, their, their children and their ability to take care of the children. Um, talk about, if you don't mind, what, because I know you know very well what it's like for a woman to go through the criminal justice oh, justice system, um, <laughs> because it, it's it's also it's a it's quite a, a, a wide net that that catches a lot of of people. Um, I'm one of these people that 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 know because I know I know the system. That number one, there's a lot of people that are in there that shouldn't be in there. They should not yeah. be in, in such a heinous place. Um, yeah. But it does, it, it, it captures quite a few people, doesn't it? It does. And from BOSCA, which is the Bureau of Statistics, Crime and Research. And they show that about nine, if, if you look at the reasons why someone should be sentenced to prison, there are uh, one, two, three, four, eight reasons according to the law that magistrates and judges should consider that you know, if a crime ticks these boxes, someone should be incarcerated. For 90, over 90% of the women that are incarcerated, point number C, one of the reasons that someone should be considered for, for incarceration is to protect the community from the offender. Yet from Bosca's statistics, it shows that over 90% of women are not serious risk to the community. So there's, and there's over, uh, let me get the statistic right, um, about 800 women in prison at any one time and 300 are on remand waiting to be sentenced. Whoa, okay, say that again. <laughs> so they're not sentenced, but they're in prison. Yep, they're in prison. And of the women that are sentenced to prison, the majority of sentencing is less than six and 12 months. So how long are they there waiting to be sentenced? Uh, it depends on the crime. It depends on the availability of magistrates. Throughout COVID last year, it, that impacted people that were waiting on remand. So here you have women who are sitting in prison waiting to be sentenced, probably separated from children and over 70% of women are mothers. So there's a whole lot of, um, 
I don't and I, I don't like to call it a system because it doesn't even seem like anything is logical about what is happening to the majority of women in prison. And then, oh, so they're waiting to be sentenced. So this could be months that they're yes. waiting, that they're, oh my, okay. Could be months. And so in the meantime, if they're a single parent, which let's be honest, mm. there's quite a few single mothers, I would think. I would believe there's, there's, there's a lot of single mums um, yeah. who are financially trying to make ends meet and, and all of that. So yeah. while they're waiting, there is, are, is there any consideration for the children or is it just like this person's a danger to society and we need to put, put this woman in jail until we figure out how to sentence and then go through the whole process? Yeah, sometimes the, the children, if the woman is fortunate to have family around looked after family, but if not, then they go into foster homes. Oh my God. Okay. Yes. And you have a number of women, particularly Indigenous women, who still lose their children. <laughs> I can't tell you how many. I'm not Indigenous, so I don't want to speak on their behalf, but I've spoken, spoken to Indigenous women who are involved in organisations to try and get babies back to their mums. So it's, it's a minefield that we don't consider because we're not in that world. And, you know, it's not something that you put on your bucket list to experience this legal system. Right. <laughs> That's for sure. Life happens. And, you know, and if we don't, and a lot of people don't see the trauma and life experiences that a woman has had before she comes into contact with the, the system. And the, the research again shows that over 70% of women who do end up with a criminal record have a history of domestic violence, trauma, um, mental illness, and then they make a poor decision, which can you know, either cause a cycle of behavior where it's hard to break out of, or you make one mistake and then you are branded with a criminal record. Oh, exactly. And, and there's very little, like you were saying, there's very little reflection on what got her to a particular point in life so no, yeah if, if the majority are suffering from um you know domestic violence and abuse at the hand of the partner boyfriend husband then mm. that is not considered at all correct no <laughs> it's sometimes for the woman if they, she doesn't have uh psychological support and I like to use that term because it could be a counsellor, a psychologist, psychiatrist. Um, and I found with the women I work, the ones that do have that support and are able to work through that process of, you know, their, their own trauma before experiencing the legal system, then it's hard for them to, to what I call unlearn. And, you know, but you can see the the change when someone has had that support and willing to put the effort in but as far as society is concerned and what I have found um, people don't consider that pre-trauma and that the domestic violence they just see the record and we're and we're a society we're quite a sick society aren't we we're a society that if someone is in prison 
we assume that they've done something really bad yeah and that they deserve you know the worst of the worst they deserve you know to be suffering um and you know and in pain and and, and yet we don't take the time to understand how they got there and i yeah. know i know because i'm again i've been studying this i myself have not been through the system grinder but um i know in the united states the statistics are alarming it's actually so easy to to get charged to get put into prison it's really easy for the system to do it's yeah. not something you're not you know somebody walking around with a mask on your face and a knife it's you know they it all these different laws all these different things you don't even know how easy it is for someone to be incarcerated and that yeah. is something that people really need to wake up to with our yeah. tax dollars by the way yes yeah yeah exactly and just understanding that life happens life happens to all of us and i remember i i do have lived experience i spent 11 months in prison and again it was something that i didn't plan it wasn't oh yeah i really want to, have to see what that feels like um life happened and it was when I was standing in the medication line at the so I was in one prison for about six to eight weeks which was Silverwater Women's Correctional Centre and then I was moved till to Dilwinia which is out in South Windsor and it was in the first week at Dilwinia and I was it was frightening especially being moved you know it's frightening being taken to one prison, but then you're taken somewhere else and you're not given any warning. And I was in the medication line uh, waiting for my antidepressants, which I had been on for seven years prior to any offending happening. And um, I must have had a, you know, a really anxious look on my face because one of the female officers came up and said, Eleni, there is a fine line between blue and green. Any one of us could be on the other side of the fence. And that has not left me to this day, every single time. And seven years post-release, you're still faced with discrimination. Um, you still read comments on social media where people say, oh, you've done the crime, you do the time, you know, you don't deserve anything better. Every time I read a comment like that or I'm faced with a situation where the record has popped up a roadblock, I remember that quote, it could be any one of us. And to not define yourself by that label every single day takes strength. It takes strength and it takes support. And yeah. that's why I, I love the work that you do. Cause you're, you know, you're, you're not someone who's like, Whew, okay, I'm, I, I got done with that. Now I got, I, I just need to forget about it. I don't want to have anything to do with the system. You're actually mm -hmm. reaching back and supporting women who are currently incarcerated and who pre-release, right. And yeah. also when they are released. Can you talk about this? Well, when you were released, what what sort of support did you have? Um, or were you just like, here's your bag and goodbye? Well, you are given your plastic bag. Go, here's, here's your bag. It's that's a, that's a that's a movie thing. I, I didn't know if they actually did that, but yeah, okay. 
But it's even when you move from one part of a prison to another or from one prison to another, you're not given warning and you say, pack your bag and it's a green, it's literally a garbage bag with your prison issue clothing and your linen and everything and, you, and you're told, there you go. Um, but I was lucky in that um, I had family support and my children were there to pick me up upon release and I did have a home to come home to. Um, I had a mortgage, which I, uh, I wasn't sure if I would be sent to prison or not the day I was sentenced. So I had a, like an instruction page on my kitchen bench. If I was not to come home, you know, this, uh, the, this real estate will handle getting someone into my apartment. Um, this is what will happen to my internet connections, my mobile. So I just had a list and it was really hard to do that because I I didn't know what was going to happen. Absolutely confronting, I would think. Yeah, very Absolutely. confronting. And because, you know, because you have been on the inside, mm-hmm. I think you are someone, you're, you're someone who can share with our, our audience what it's, what it's like, because mm-hmm. not only have you suffered, and I know a bit of, you know, y- your story, not, not only do you suffer prior right before mm. you're there um mm. emotional abuse um if and if a woman that's there physical emotional sexual abuse but then when they're there and they you are confined mm. what are some other issues that women face once they're in there i i, I shudder to think of, about all of the challenges um that one faces when in incarcerated but you can enlighten us on that subject that's a big subject as to how it probably impacts people differently some of some of the women that I met in there um were so they were used to the revolving door that became their safe place um and that's sad in itself I think as a society what have we not done to support people and women when they come out so they feel safe. Um, but, the, you know, the first night I was in Silverwater on a, I was in like a cell that had three cameras, the lights on 24-7, the camera point, one camera pointed to the toilet, the shower and the mattress on the floor. Um, obviously because it was my first and only time incarcerated and they may be concerned for self-harm. But I remember looking at the graffiti on the wall and it was like reading women's stories. And I myself had a, you know, misconception and prejudgment of anyone that had been incarcerated till I ended up there myself. And I was reading this graffiti and I just thought, oh my gosh, these women's lives are just broken. They're just broken lives. And, you know, who are we to judge? Who are we to judge? So um, I could start with a little bit of my background. To, so I'm hoping your listeners will be able to understand the thought pattern, if you like. Would that be all right? Yes, yeah? please. So my um, history way before, even from my late teenage years, was of undiagnosed anxiety and depression that led to anorexia. Now, the anorexia had nothing to do with body image. I never weighed myself. I never dieted. But my uh, 
upbringing was quite strict. It was like my big fat Greek wedding. Um, I'm the eldest of four children in a Greek family. And don't get me wrong, I love my parents, but this is just how I interpreted and processed things. So every time as a, you know, early, mid to late teens, I asked to do anything with friends, it was subjects closed, don't want to talk about it. And so I tried to do more at home to become the perfect daughter, the, the pleasing daughter. Maybe if I do enough, they'll love me more. And that's how I interpreted that I wasn't loved unless I did. So uh, when I finished high school, we went to Greece for six months and I'd never been to Greece and it was beautiful to see where my parents were born. But I was sad because school was the only place I saw my friends. And so now I didn't have any means to see the friends that I'd grown up with for the last six years. And I just got a little bit sad. And if anyone knows some of the symptoms or early signs of any mental illness, it's change in sleeping patterns, change in eating patterns. It was never an intended diet. I just ate a bit less. And mum and dad were going, oh, what's wrong? Are you all right? You're not eating. And I went, oh, wow, you're listening to me now. So I thought if I started eating normally that I wouldn't have, uh, wouldn't be able to speak and they wouldn't listen. So it grew into a fear of eating, not for what ate, but a fear of losing what I interpreted as my parents now love me because they're listening to me. And then it turned into the full blown, you know, lost my period for five years, et cetera. I physically recovered from that, but fast forward to when I started seeing my forensic psychologist, uh, which my lawyer suggested I see um, to address the offending and what happened and what led to that. And I had a light bulb moment with her in one of our early sessions. And she said, what were your thoughts pre-anorexia, you know, with all the excessive dieting and exercise and I said, my answer to that was, if I don't do this, I will not be of value. And then she said, okay, fast forward to just before you're, you offended, what were your thoughts? And I stopped and I went, if I don't do this, I will not be of value. And completely different circumstance, but that same unhelpful thought pattern. And I just went, why did I not get help decades before instead of living with this thought pattern of people pleasing, of low self-worth where I felt I had to do, do, do all the time, even if I wanted to say no, you know, that I'm not worth it to anyone, you know, unless I perform and... You know, that, so that was the, the mental illness side, but I also experienced in the last eight years of my 21-year marriage, a lot of control, which I didn't recognise as DV, a lot of, um, you know, wall hitting and throwing things and putting down everything that I loved doing, never had a girls' night out in the 21 years I was married, and again, felt that I was only worth housework and sex. And it was six weeks after a counselling session where my uh, ex-husband confirmed those two thoughts that I had that I offended. I was rock bottom. 
And, you know, when I share my story, you know, to a person, a woman one-on-one, they go, oh, man, that could have been me. It could have easily been me. So it was um, life, you know, any one of us in, with the right circumstances and, you know, hitting rock bottom, I, I don't know. It's, it, it's very easy to happen. Well, and, and especially if you're with, if, if you are already a people pleaser, right? Because, mm. and, and that, that happens in childhood, in the beginning of childhood, but then you're with a, a you know, a narcissist, you, you probably are also quite empathic as well and caring mm. and loving and a narcissist. I've done studies on narcissists. I've done specials on narcissists and especially there's different types, right? But um, the more extreme ones, it's about control. Yeah. And it's also about their vampires, their energy vampires. So if they can get from you an emotional response, either yeah. fear or uh, terror or concern, worry, doubt, you know, any of those things, then mm. they're feeding upon that. And, yeah. and they always seek out the most the ones that are the most empathic and the ones that are the people pleasers, the ones that want to do good in the world, they want to help mm. others. It's like, you know, they're a target. Yeah. Um, and I'll tell you from my research, mm. and I've done three, I've done three specials on, um, on a narcissist. And I actually interviewed, it was like my interview with a vampire it was my interview with a master narcissist. Mm. And what he was saying too, he says, there is no help for my kind. Mm. He even said my kind, like, he, and 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 he said there is no rehabilitation. We have no heart. We don't care if we break your heart. Yeah. And I, after producing those shows, I've had more comments and letters from women, mostly women, mm. who have said, "I thought I was crazy." Yeah, you do. Yeah. I th- and I was frightened. I didn't want to speak up and back to him. I, yeah, I was frightened. And they're so good. Mm. at lying and there's yeah. such great actors that you believe them and you're and because why would someone you know why would why would someone lie about that or you know what but but it's it's manipulation to the umpteenth degree and yeah. so many women have been the victim of that yeah um and and they're either married or they their boyfriends or the you know mostly it's mostly men who are the offenders but there are women as well um, yeah. Or they have a parent who's a narcissist, which yeah. is a whole, <laughs> yeah. you know. Um, so the, the thing is, is that what, what you've experienced, like you say, m- millions of, of, of other women have experienced that and how close mm. they could have been or they have already fallen into that mm that in that criminal justice system, we didn't even, we hadn't, wouldn't even covered the fact that this is also, well, especially in the United States, it's a business. Yeah. It's a, it's a machine. Yeah. Um, because everyone along the way gets paid. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, let's talk about yeah. the, the, let's talk about the business angle of it because I don't know how much it is to incarcerate a, a, a woman here in Australia, but uh, in the United States, and especially with private prisons, because that's the new yeah. thing, these yeah. corporations that, you know, fill those beds up, you need more beds filled because they want more money coming in. 
Yeah, that's right. Talk about that if you can, that aspect. Well, just remember I said that over 90% of women are not a serious threat to the community and they end up in prison, right? So that fills those beds, I would imagine. It costs, I don't know the exact number, but it's a between $280 and $320 a day. I don't know the exact figure. I've read various uh, figures to house somebody in prison. Um, so that's, do the math. <laughs> And you're not, and you're not staying at the, you know, Four Seasons, and you're not eating, you know, <laughs> you're not eating like organic food or anything like that. Oh, uh, and I again, I've had so many. I see so many posts on prison saying, "Oh, you get, you know, you're, you're fed every day, and you got your medical." And I just had to comment on something. I said, "Unless you've experienced this, please don't comment." You don't get any. Well, where I was in New South Wales, there are some prisons that. The buy-up, which is like your weekly shopping list, you some prisons have fresh produce, but the majority of New South Wales correctional centres, the only fresh food I got were apples or bananas when they were in season. Everything else was uh, frozen, pre-prepared meals. Um, I am gluten intolerant. I had to go through a medical assessment by the prison doctor to have a certificate to get gluten-free meals. When the meals, many of the meals came back, there was black mold on the bottom of the container and no cooked date or used by date on the container. So I would often show the officer, he said that, you know, he would throw it out for me and try to get me another meal, but the kitchen was closed at, you know, 3.30 in the afternoon. So you didn't get it. Now, I can't tell you the mental battle I had in the, those first few months for the anorexia thoughts not to creep back in. You're not worth it. You deserve this. Um, you know, I, I had, and that was another light bulb moment at about, two and a half months in, I sat at the bottom of my cell having these thoughts of, you know, you could easily take your own life uh, with these thoughts and, you know, you deserve it. And I, I sat there and I went, wait on a minute, I've had nine months of counselling with a forensic psych who helped me see thought patterns and I started put, putting those tools into place before incarceration. So I got incarcerated and all the psychology stopped so my rehabilitation occurred before prison correct all right correct. <laughs> yep and I thought if I continue these thoughts then I have learned nothing so that is from that moment on I vowed to do anything I could regarding mental illness particularly eating disorders and to support women who have ended up behind bars because then um, what a waste and let's and let's talk about that because this is the this is the part where the your consciousness really kicked in right so mm -hmm. so we've we've journeyed with you um before incarceration we've journeyed with you a bit inside and so now what you're doing is you're helping women that are that are there that are pre-release and also being released and let our listeners know what you're doing for those women so um the success works program as i said of dress for success sydney supports women with a criminal record 
they don't necessarily have to have been incarcerated. They could have a community order. Um, some of them have ankle bracelets on where they have to have their schedule, you know, given into correct, corrective services a week in advance. So they know exactly where they are the week coming up. Um, they might be women on a good behaviour bond, but they've still got a record. They could be women going through the drug court process, which is an alternative to incarceration. Um, no matter what, they've got this black mark on their name that prevents them from um, getting employment, from getting housing, from getting car insurance, um, so many things. So um, the program builds those women's confidence up. We've got a number of workshops. They have my one-on-one -on -one support. And, you know, it's really lovely to hear the women. You could hear their apprehension when you first make that first phone call or they first call you. You know, I'm trying to get a job and, you know, I've got a criminal record and, you know, I've been knocked back so many times and I'm trying really hard. And then I could hear their fear. So I say, okay, I'm a Lenny, I'm here to help you. I know exactly what it feels like because I've been through the same thing. And you hear the sigh, you literally hear the sigh. And they go, oh my God, it's so nice to talk to someone where you know you're not gonna be judged and who understands what it feels like. And I thought, oh gosh, I wish we had some more employers that were like that. <laughs> because it is so scary. So part of what we do as well as working with the women is that we reach out to employers and we tell them about the program. We tell them that we work with women with a criminal record and the reasons why they should employ someone with a record and to do their own risk assessment. If the offence has nothing to do with the requirements of the job, then what's the problem? And they go, oh yeah, we never thought of that. So we, we, you know, we provide the women with mentors and coaches, even post-employment. Um, some women on the program have had an extensive work history and then they make one mistake, like myself, and they've got a record, which sticks. It sticks beyond when you are leaving the prison gates. And then you've got women who may have had no work history, but they gained some skills in prison. So we build a resume from those skills, help them see these are skills that you've got. Because a lot of them, you know, think, oh, I've never had a job. I'm not ever going to get a job. I don't have any skills. So it's helping the woman see what she has got and that this offence should not define the rest of her life. It is, I always say to them, it is something that happened. It is not you. Mm. And I say that over and over again, because unless they start believing it themselves, as I said, those thoughts are really powerful. You know, how do you expect to, for anyone's behaviours to change if they're thinking, you know, that they're not worth it? Um, so we've had about over 90 women touch base with the program. Um, about a third of those disengage because the reasons we found they have not secured housing. And um, I think I mentioned to you uh, early last week when we first spoke, in 2019, 900 women were released from prison to homelessness. 
Wow. Oh, wow. So it breaks my heart. You know, they're on a Centrelink payment. If it's New Start or Job Seeker, they're told they have to apply for X amount of jobs as their mutual obligation. Try doing that with a criminal record. Every time I remember, it took me two years to get some meaningful employment. Every time I applied for a job, I would see the, uh, do you consent to a criminal record check? And I just go, oh my God, I don't want to have to explain this. The fear, the wall just went back up. The shame. What that, the yeah, shame. The shame. Yeah. The shame. It's one thing to be ashamed and learn from the the offence and learn the thought patterns and or unlearn and then admit guilt and and pay the price that's a different kind of shame to continually living in shame and what that does every time you know an, an organization asks for a criminal record check without any further explanation or to give you the opportunity for a safe space to voice your story all that does is help you look backwards, not forwards. So, you know, you're released from prison and told, you know, get on with it, contribute to the community, pay your bills. You're going to let me do that? Yeah, but how? <laughs> exactly. Exactly how? And you can't get assistance because the requirements, they, they keep moving the goalpost, right? And they make oh, it harder and yes. harder as yeah. well. And and for the women looking for housing, and I only learnt this last month from one of my clients who is in temporary housing, to get a more permanent uh, housing, she has to now apply for 20 accommodations a month. Say that again. And submit an, a, a diary of accommodation that she has gone to view and apply for. 20? Yeah, something like 20 a month. And she's got to submit a diary. Some of these women don't have a car. They've got to get there on push bike or public transport. So if you get there late to the open for the inspection of that property, you go back down the list because you haven't completed your X amount of view. And I'm going, they're making it harder and harder. So there, there's a real shortage of social housing. There's oh yes, more, no, yeah. Especially I know in, in especially in Sydney, but I mean, in, yes, yeah, all over. So it, we're perpetuating this cycle. And if you know, in in the other thing too that that we haven't really discussed, but what happens prior to an offence? What over, the abuse, the economic situation. Mm. Um, a lot. Let, let's also realize that a lot of women that are incarcerated are incarcerated on um, on drug or maybe drunk driving type um, offenses, right? A yeah. drug offense, which is it, it is a, a mental. It, it is something that that yeah. needs to be dealt with psychologically and physically. Yes. But there is no threat to society per se, no. where you know they're going to harm you know a bunch of people. They're harming themselves. Yeah. But what gets them to that point, which is that point, exactly. It's to relieve and, the pain. Exactly. Yeah. And, it, you know, it's all right to have detox and re rehabilitation centers, 
but are they addressing the why that person started using in the first place? And I remember one of the first roles I got was um, post-release was facilitating groups. Uh, it was in a job provider um, where they had a high clientele of homeless ex-offenders. And there were a lot of men that I worked with. And I remember sitting around a table and about 90% of the men around that table were homeless, ex-offenders. And we talked about the drug use. And I, I said that exact thing. How, in your detox and your rehabs that you've been in and out of, have you ever addressed the why? And one man said, not once. Wow. So there seems to be like education and a change needed at all levels. Yes. And another thing which my psychologist um, found that your viewers might find interesting that I didn't even know having experienced this system is she had to present to a whole lot of magistrates a couple of years ago on the impact of their sentencing on someone's life. And she had three people in mind and I was one of those three that she referred to. And they sat back and they went, oh my gosh, we had no idea. And she explained to me it's because the police do not talk to community corrections who do a pre-sentence report. They do not talk to the psycho psychologists you might be seeing. They do not talk to the magistrates. The lawyers don't talk to, the lawyers just talk to, they have to talk to, and everyone just does their own little job, but no one talks to each other. And there you are, your, your sentence is going to impact this person's life for the rest of their life. And their children's lives as well. And their children's lives. Yeah. I know a woman who was incarcerated for eight days and she lost her housing, partner took the children away, she lost everything for eight days. Unbelievable. Well, yeah. believable, believable. Yeah. So it's just, yeah, it's horrific. And, and there's also, because like the program that you, that you are the, the manager of the success mm. works, which helps get women um, mm. back into the work, the, into the workforce and giving them those tools that they need, but also the resources. Yes. There's also not a lot of funding for your program or for that. Right. This is, there's, oh, this is like one program in yeah. like all of, I mean, it's, <laughs> The need is overwhelming, yeah. But there's just not also. Is it because well, those are those are criminals. We're not going to fund that because they're criminals. We don't want to help them. Is that what yeah. it is? Yeah, it could be. It could be that um, we have had um, funding from the Ian Potter and the Vincent Fairfax Foundations for this program, and that funding runs out in December this year. So that has not been government funding, it's philanthropic funding. Um, but I think to have 44 women that have participated in the program up to April this year have gained employment. Wow. If you do the, the math, I'm so excited, I'm so proud of that. And I'm so proud of those women who, who stuck to it and turned up every single time and did something that may have been completely different to anything they've done before to go to an interview even you know and 
you know, one one lady when she first got um, a job, it was the first legal job that she'd had for many years. And she emailed me and said, it was the first year I was able to buy Christmas presents for my kids. Oh. And so I'm going to cry because it gets me, it gets me every time. Or, you know, to to say that she was able to, to buy herself some clothes or we, we provide clothing, but, you know, just the ability to do something that makes them feel good about themselves, even going to having a resume, if they've never had one before, they suddenly feel some hope and they feel good about themselves. And then when you teach them how to answer certain interview questions, particularly around the offending, if they're going to be asked that, you know, how do you address that without, you know, spilling your whole story, but just giving enough detail of say, yes, this is what happened. This is the price I paid. This is what I'm doing. This is what I've done since to address it. And this is what I want to do now. And for people to have the heart to listen, the ears, sorry, to listen with their heart and not to judge. And there, there have been fantastic organisations that have gone, yep, we get this. And they do their risk assessment and they go, yep, we're going to give this woman the job. And that was me. That's what I experienced with Megan Etheridge, the founder of Dress for Success. You know, I met with her and she said before this, the funding was secured and she said, what's your interest in helping women with a record move forward? I said, I am one of those women and I know how hard it is. And because I wasn't applying for a job, I wasn't scared to say it. But you shouldn't be scared to say it. No. We've, we're done living with fear. We had, you know, years of it prior to offending. Then you're frightened in prison. And you shouldn't be frightened coming out. No. And you should you be supported. Be and you should yeah. be supported when you come out. That's, I, that's why I just, I love the organisation. I think everybody should know about it. Um, in fact, for our listeners and our viewers who are interested in supporting the work that you do, I want to encourage them to, we're going to put the link that they can go to, they can learn all about the program, and perhaps they also, maybe they know of someone who needs this type of service, mm. and they're just unaware of it, um, yeah. they can send that link to them, but also, uh, really, this is my um, my request of of listeners and viewers who have the ability to also support it financially in any way that you can, um, I encourage you to click that link. It'll be in the show notes and, um, and make your donation uh, to this really important organization and the work that you do. Because if there is no funding and there is no, there is no government funding for this, which there should be, I, I can't, I'm like, I, I just, I can't imagine, you know, we fund, you know, the coal industry, we, we fund, you know, sending Olympic athletes over here and there and all that, but something as important as this and that affects this many lives, yeah. um, it should be supported. It should be funded. And so, and also if you're a politician listening to this, then you need to get your act together and start funding success. Yes, works. please. And <laughs> also and also for those people that are, you know, around the world, because the this, this show is listened to people you know, all around the world. Mm. If you're in a, uh, in an area where this type of program is needed, reach out to Alani mm. as well. And maybe you can start an organization 
um, as well, or if you've been through the process and you've been through the system and incarcerated, and now you want to turn your life around and help others, you know, those are the, the, the people who have been on the inside and who have felt the pain and the shame and all of that. It's constant. But, but those are the people that can help those that are yep. coming out, right? Yes. Yep, exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, Alani, I just want to thank you so much for, for being with us today and sharing your story and being vulnerable and, and open, but also for the amazing work that you do every single day. I know you, I know you, as soon as you wake up, as soon as your eyes waking up, you're like, you're on it, but yep. um, <laughs> thank you so much. And you're welcome back to come on out of the box with Christine anytime you give us updates. Um, let us know what's going on. Please, please, the door Thank is always you. open to you. Oh, I just even thought of the stuff we didn't talk about, what happened in prison that causes further trauma, but that can be another oh, episode. Oh, no. <laughs> well, we, you know what? No, we, we, we can, no, we should address this, I think, because, and I was going to, I was going to go there and then I thought mm. I didn't want to, I didn't want to trigger you um, as well. Yeah, no, it's fine. But yeah, it's not, you know, here's the thing, because again, society has this, idea that if you're in prison you deserved it you're a mm. you're a threat to humanity you deserve to eat on the cold hard floor and get what you get um but you are being you are locked in mm. and not only are you locked in with other people who have been incarcerated and and mm. come from that you all, don't know <laughs> all different walks of life there's gangs mm. there's all kinds of things mm. but also the actual people that are paid to, mm. um, to look after you, so yeah. to speak, right? Yeah. Talk about that real quickly. So some of the uh, practices within New South Wales prisons are after every single visit, you are strip searched. A woman is strip searched. Um, I was also told uh, one time they said, if you've got your period, make sure the tampon string is not showing. And I went, Why? They said, because if you strip shirts and they see the string, you have to pull that out to make sure that you are not smuggling drugs in. So I never got used to the strip searches. If the dog squad came through your cell at, say, 4.30 in the morning, which they did, I experienced that once in the 11 months I was in, um, the strip search is video recorded with a camera on the floor and you have to lift your leg to the camera and I sat there having to go through it because I had to, wondering who the hell is going to be watching this. And, you know, for someone who her whole life thought her worth, and I'm, I'm speaking for myself, other women who have gone through sexual abuse and have to go through that strip search, I can't imagine. But uh, for someone who always believed that, it was sex that she was valued for. Just that, I I can't, I never got used to, even if it was, who, no matter who did it, no matter if it was the nicest officer, I never got used to that. That's well, one of the Videotaping and th that is absolutely like shattering to someone's soul. Mm. Mm. Um, and especially if it's, a, and, and look, you know, we, we could pretend, but most women have been sexually um, mm. 
abused, assaulted, there has been something that has happened to them. Yeah. Uh, and to have them become a victim again mm-hmm. in that situation and and have it be filmed is absolutely, yeah. that's, a, that's a nightmare. That would yeah. be one of my worst nightmares. I, You don't know it's going, I never experienced it that one time it did. So you just get told what you have to do and then you're there and you see the camera on the floor and you, you know, it's not even like an informed thing. It was like, oh, geez, you know, no. And we, so that was and, one of them. And of course, we've we've heard of abuse from the the um, officers, the correctional officers yep. as well. Yeah, um, there's been a number of cases. Have you heard stories when you were there? Did you hear stories from um, from women that were that were there with you? You heard stories. You heard lots of stories, um, whether they were confirmed or not. But since coming, being out and seeing it in the papers, and you know the court process going through for those correctional officers now. Yeah, it happened. Oh my God. So mm. again, they are abused, they are harmed while they're there. And then when they're let go, they're like, have a great life. Yeah. Good you luck. Know, and they were just a couple of examples I gave on top of being locked up, you know, 23 hours a day or 18 hours a day, depending on what part of the prison you're in. And, you know, working a 40-hour week for $50 a week um, to serve corrective services industries. You know what I mean? It's Oh, that we didn't even get into that. That's right. Yeah. The, 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 the... <laughs> so, you're, so you're creating goods or what, what is it that... that... Um, a lot of the the uh, the people have to do the women have to do there's a range of industries depending on what prison in New South Wales you're in and depending if it's a male or female prison um, I worked in a warehouse where I learned warehousing skills that I was grateful for but for about a 50 hour, a 48 hour week might have got 52 dollars for the week um, you know other industries have other prisons have industries where they make soft furnishings for for organizations on the outside or sheets or you know um a lot of the gowns hospital gowns you know they're they csi have industries you can have a look on their website csi industries wow so it is a business and they have cheap labor well they have a captive labor market don't they as well yeah i get that they yes they might be teaching people skills but if you're going to go out and become a gown maker. <laughs> yep. And I guarantee those organizations will do a criminal record check when they're out. Exactly. And not employment. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. We have to change. We have to change. Yeah, this. so much to change. <laughs> well, so we're going to, I'm going to reiterate with that, that people mm-hmm. learn more about your organization by going to the link that we'll be providing in the show notes. Um, also, and it's everything from with, with Dress for Success, the, the parent organization, right, which mm. um, helps women it, it feel good on the outside as well, because a lot of times you don't have resources to, 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 to go out and look for a job, you know, to, to have a nice outfit, to feel good about mm. yourself as well. Yeah. But, um, so we yeah. have that, but also you have all of those support mechanisms um, helping women with uh, creating that resume and getting them help and assistance in in speaking with a potential employer and yeah. 
if there's employers who yes. want to be a part of your uh, wonderful organization and give women a second chance in life and yep. their families and the children yes. and their communities, <laughs> right? Because it's a ripple effect. That's what happens. It's a ripple effect. Um, yep. They can reach out to you as well through yep. that link. Yes? They sure can. Awesome. Mm. Awesome. Alani, I want to thank you so very much. And um, again, you're welcome back anytime. It's been my honor to have you on. And I hope that we've changed some people's minds and opinions about incarceration and especially with women uh, being incarcerated and what's what it's really like and how everybody deserves another chance. Everybody deserves thank another you. chance. We sure do. Everyone. <laughs> Everyone does. <laughs> Thank you. Thank darling. you so much. And I want Thanks. to thank you, wonderful listeners and viewers. You can watch this video on YouTube. And if you are watching it right now, make sure that you like and subscribe. You can subscribe by clicking the bell. Click that little bell that's over here on YouTube. And if you're listening to this for the first time in an audio format, please make sure you subscribe to your audio podcast platform. For more information on the show, you can go to outofthebox.com. Until next time, remember to always think outside of that damn, not only box, but cage. Think out of that cage <laughs> as well. Yeah. Thank you, darling. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Bye Thanks, for Christine. Bye. Bye. Bye.